0: All right. Thanks, Stephanie. Our children can be dismissed to Children's Church. There's going to be uh, someone in the lobby. We're, we're trying to make it a little more secure of a process of getting kids from here to Children's Church. We know some kids just go on their own. And they know the way. Some parents, you're, you're welcome to and encouraged to even take them. So you know where they're going and who they're going to. But we have uh, staff in the lobby who are making sure that there's no one in between uh, getting lost. So they're heading up to, up to Children's Church now. Um, and we like to bring them back in for the last part of our service to worship alongside of us and to just to come in and, and uh, experience being a part of the big big family, big church. Um, one of the reasons it's great about having kids in children's church, we love we love children in our services, and, and um, we actually, have, as elders, have been talking about that recently, and there's probably some more thoughts on that later, but we love, this is a family-friendly church, right? and, and you think about the first century church, they didn't have children's church. They came to church, probably on you know dirt, dirty floors and dirty seats, and they all sat together as a family, and they just were there. And they figured it out, and that's what we wanted to do, But uh, we certainly want us to be as, as free of distractions as we can. We also want kids to learn at their appropriate age levels as well. Um, turns out that as I preach, it doesn't always hit a fifth-grader's fifth or a first-grader's heart uh, very very much the same as it would an adult. So, Anyway, we are in Matthew chapter 5. You can start turning there. Um, I am going to go ahead and have a word of prayer for us here in a minute, uh, just for our service today and for our hearts, and, uh, and then we'll get into the Word. But Matthew chapter 5 is we're going to pick up in a few minutes, so... Would you join me in prayer? Father, in heaven, we are grateful that you love us so much. And Father, as we come here today, um, God, we, we come, God, at least we should be coming with a, a joyousness about us because of the, the faith we have in you. That we should come with a humility about us, God, knowing that we don't have it all together. Uh, we don't have all the answers. And God, we want to submit and surrender to your word. God, that we want to give our lives and our, our time, our treasure, our talents to you as well. God, we want to go before you in prayer and, and humble our hearts that we might hear from you and, God, learn what it is that we might need to change about ourselves. And, and God, that we would empty ourselves of us. And, God, I pray that for me. I, I, I know that my heart has been conflicted all week, God, preparing to, to bring your word. And, God, my heart is that this would be of you, that we would all learn from you, God, you would empty me of me, and God, that that your word would shine, your truth would shine, your covenant love with us would be visible as a model for us to follow. We thank you. We give you praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we are in Matthew 5. If you want to make sure you're turning there. A little Houdini act there. My allergies are really acting up. Anyone else, right? And I'm have a tissue box right here. It's a little sore throat and, you know, the, just the pollen in the eyes. It's nuts. I'm grateful for spring, though. We're reminded that this is a, a normal spring and it's amazing to see the, uh, the weather, the, the, uh, the wetness, and uh, even the storms. Matthew chapter 5. Well, we, uh, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, aren't we? Um, I, after last week, I'm, I'm grateful that so many of you showed back up. Thank you for coming back, right? Um, and you know God's word is teaching us, and God is teaching us, and we're listening to the words of Jesus. And um, I think you may have uh, felt my reluctance at times to talk about such big issues from the pulpit. And I'm not reluctant because it doesn't need to be said. I'm not reluctant to share God's truth and to stand on God's truth. I'm reluctant because I know it strikes a chord, it kind of pokes at a nerve. And we, we started this whole journey with Alistair introducing the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount and saying, like, Listen, uh, what does it mean to be righteous? It means to be first poor in spirit and mourning and, and really really grieving over your sin and, and hungering and thirsting for something that you could never provide on your own or, or something that you could never find on your own. That righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we moved on to some of the big topics that Jesus wanted to start talking about. I, I got the fortune of starting right in with it, right? You heard it say, don't commit murder. But I say to you what? If you're angry with your brother or sister, you've murdered. So Jesus calling us out and calling us all murderers. Uh, Then we talked about last week, Uh, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone has looked lustfully at another has already committed adultery in your heart, making us all out to be adulterers. As we move in today to our topic, it's divorce and remarriage. But really, more supremely, I want it to be about marriage. It's really about marriage because what we... Take lightly, Jesus makes a big deal of. When we take things like anger lightly, like, oh, I'm just angry. It's, it's just how I feel. It's, I'm riled up. I, I have my, I'm entitled to my feelings. Jesus says, no, you're not. You're a murderer. When we say, oh, it's not a big deal to look. Just don't touch. Jesus says, no, it's a big deal to look. You're an adulterer. And when he talks today about divorce and answers questions from the Pharisees, saying, it must be okay. Jesus commanded us to give a divorce. He says, no, no. There's something else in view here that you all missed, and I want you to understand that although this is a needed topic to talk about, and we must present this, um, and I'm going to do it biblically, uh, I am I am certainly never unwilling to have deeper heart-to-heart conversations. In fact, it's topics like these that that really take up some of the majority of our counseling time, and and it's great to have those one-on-one moments, those heart-to-heart moments with you where we can share God's word and share love and grace and support and hope and and really clarify it. Because I know in a big group like this, as I preach today, some of you came and you saw the title and you're like, why did I come today? I don't want to hear this. He's just going to call me a sinner. Not me, Jesus. But he calls us all sinners to repent of sin. So I I understand that heart-to-heart conversations are important. So my hope and my desire today is that you would hear my heart but mostly that you would hear the heart of Jesus. And then if you find something difficult, that, that you would seek to have further heart-to-heart conversations with, with me, with the other elders in our church, with other ministry leaders or small group leaders that you have, that you trust, that love Jesus and love his word, don't just leave yourself hanging in anger or in confusion or in pain, but have more conversations. Because when we do that, God will allow that seed that has been sowed inside of our heart to be watered and tended to, and it will grow to be fruitful and righteous. Now, when we talk about divorce and we talk about remarriage, um, I would say this, that it's a topic that has not just likely, but has impacted everyone's life. Divorce and remarriage, blended families, all of these things have greatly impacted everyone's life in some way. And, and I, I certainly want to be sensitive to those who are hurting or reeling from that uh, maybe you're, you're hurting from a divorce that's happened recently or one that happened a long time ago, whether it was your divorce or someone else's divorce, right? And, and I want to be sensitive to the fact that I know maybe right now there are people here that your marriage is like, I wish it was divorce. I wish I was done, that you hurt so much right now in the place that you are, and you don't want to be lectured to about covenant marriage. I love you. Jesus loves you, and I want, I, I want you to hang with us all the way through to the end today. But I want us to remember where we came from, right? Again, Jesus saying we should not take things lightly that the world says take lightly. That we should make them serious. And as he does, he consistently addresses the depth from where these things come. He addresses the heart. So today, we're going to look at his teachings on divorce and remarriage and that will be no different. Let's pray. Father, again, we We submit ourselves to your word, to the authority of your word. It is our desire that you would, by the power of your spirit, convince us of your truth, convict us of sin. God, move us to a place of righteousness and obedience and faithfulness to you. God, it is our desire that we would be the righteous from the heart, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 5, if you've turned there, which I have not, but I will. Matthew chapter 5, it's, it's two verses today, and then we're going to tear it apart a bit more. Um, so we're going to read verses 31 and 32 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the Word of God. Look at three sections here, three teachings, three things we can pull out today uh, to make it simple. Now, by all means, this is not an exhaustive sermon. This is going to scratch the surface and I give us some real big points about how Jesus views marriage, but I really do, again, encourage you to have those follow-up conversations. Uh, Number one, about divorce and remarriage. Uh, Number one is this. The oneness and permanence of marriage. We see in Jesus' teachings, the oneness and the permanence of marriage. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 19. Keep your, you can keep your ribbon here, your finger here. But turn to Matthew 19. Jesus is, a, this is another spot where Jesus goes on, and it's more of Christ's teaching, some clear teaching on this topic. Again, responding to uh, what he knows is known in, the, uh, in those hearers and listeners and those actually asking him the question. So we're in Matthew 19. We're going to look at verses 3 through 6 to start. Verse 3 says this, Some Pharisees approached him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Now, this, of course, is a loaded question. The Pharisees want to trap him. They want to, to have him mess up or stumble in some way where they can accuse him. But Jesus is clever, and he, he teaches, and he, he answers usually with questions. Well, I've got a question for you, Right? Go on, haven't you read? So he puts the onus back on them. He, they wanted to say, hey, this is all on you, Jesus. It's on your shoulders. It's your responsibility to tell us what's right. And Jesus says, haven't you read? Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made, made them male and female. He also said, for, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's an interesting way to answer their question. Hey, did Moses say we could be commanded to give a divorce on any grounds? And what does Jesus do? He takes them back to what is really important. You see, we we think highly of divorce. And these guys thought highly of divorce in the sense of like, you could divorce your spouse for a lot of reasons. And we're going to look at those in a few minutes. They were thinking too highly of divorce. And what Jesus said is, you don't think highly enough of marriage. What is a marriage? It's oneness and permanence. He says it here. that this, he, he says, they, God made a male and female that a, one man and one woman would come together in marriage and they would leave their father and mother and they would be joined together. And that the two of those people would become what? One flesh. One flesh. You know, I, I thought about this as I was mixing up my Kool-Aid drink the other day. I had water, I had a little sleeve of powder. Guess what? Those two became one flesh. Guess what? I could not do separate them. So I just drank the Kool-Aid. Right? There's a metaphor in there somewhere. No, I. I you, what God has joined, so God is saying, "Listen, marriage is to be viewed more highly than you think." And even in this time, women, women were listen. listen a lot of these verses, ladies, are going to come down like, "Man, they don't like women." It, it, back then, they. They were property at times. They were treated like property. They were treated like second-class citizens. That was not right at all. Jesus didn't teach that. So he started grabbing onto the hearts and saying, listen, your hearts are wicked and evil against this this woman, this person who who is your companion. And you ought to think more highly about marriage with this woman. That it's not just you who brings along some, some servant until you get tired of them. It is you who God gifts to you a woman. Women, you are gifts from God your husband. Husbands, your wife is a gift from God to you. And the opposite is true as well. Husbands, you are gifts from God to your wife. You're meant to be. Wives, your husbands are gifts from God to you. So when Jesus is teaching on marriage and divorce, what he, or, or, or uh, divorce and remarriage, what does he teach on first? Marriage. He teaches on oneness, that two will become one flesh. And it says. They are no longer two, but one. Therefore, so it's not only on oneness, what God has joined together, let no man, what? Separate. Those two should not be separated. No, never. That's the intent, that marriage is one and marriage is permanent. Again, they were thinking highly of divorce and he wanted them to think highly of marriage. So what does he do answering their question about divorce? He tells them all about marriage. What happens though? God knows that our treachery, our unfaithfulness is what breaks fellowship and relationships. I'm going to read a passage out of Malachi chapter 2. And it's interesting, as I studied this passage, this is a passage of Scripture where we get God hates divorce. But when you translate this, it actually can come out two different ways, so we're going to look at that today. But I'm in Malachi 2, verse 13, you can turn there or not, doesn't matter. Last book of the Old Testament, by the way, just before Matthew. Chapter 2, verse 13, we're going to start. People were bringing their offerings to God and, and so they come and they covered the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because, why were they groaning? He that is God no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. Well, that's a problem, right? We're, we're trying to offer something to God, say, God, I, you have my heart, here I am, I, you love me, I, I, I love you. He's like, do you really? Seems like you've been pretty unfaithful. Seems like you've been pretty treacherous. He goes on, so you ask why, why do you not accept it? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. Treachery. It's unfaithfulness. It's betrayal. The Lord is saying, listen, you come to me at the altar and you you want to lay your offering there, but but I've given you a gift and this this sanctity of marriage and this beauty in marriage and and this power in marriage and this gift in marriage. And what you have done is, is just been betraying your marriage. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. That's a big word, covenant. Next week we talk about oaths and not taking oaths and letting your yes be yes and your no be no. But this word covenant is bigger than just any oath. It says, you know what, it is enduring. My action, my attitude, my love towards you is going to be enduring. That's the way God's covenant is towards you and me. And that's what he wants from us, the covenant with our spouse. He goes on, didn't God make them one? Why, you ask me why I'm angry, why I'm not let, uh, accepting your offerings and your sacrifices? Because you were to be one flesh and you're not. You were to, you're treating your marriage treacherously and betrayal. Then he goes on, he didn't make them one and give them a portion of the spirit, right? There's a unity there. What is the one seeking? The oneness, God, the offspring. And I want you to understand something. And there's tons of teaching on this. We're not going into it today in a huge way. But a godly, covenantal marriage produces godly children who, who view marriage in a way they should. Now, that could change in their hearts. But the more broken that chain is, the more broken their view of marriage will be. That's just biblical teaching. That when we have a marriage that is covenantal and respectful of, of both partners, that honors God, the children that they have will, will be children who, who covenant the same way. What are we looking for? God the offspring. So so what do we do? He says, so watch yourselves carefully. This goes back to what Jesus teaches on all the time. This is Old Testament teaching, and Jesus says, hey, remember, watch yourself carefully. What does that mean? Watch what carefully? Yourself. What is is he asking us to watch? Our hearts. Because out of the heart is coming this treachery. Out of the heart is coming this unfaithfulness. He says, watch yourself carefully so that no one acts treacherously against their wife, the wife of his youth. Then it goes on. This is the verse 16, where we have some translations that say God hates divorce. Here, here's what the CSB says. This is the translation in the in the, the PRACs, what uh, I use. If he hates and divorces his wife, talking about the husband, says the Lord of God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourself carefully and do not act treacherously. Other translations would say God hates divorce. Why? Because What divorce does is puts injustice on the other person. Therefore, carefully watch yourself and do not act treacherously. So treacherous is pretty important here. Treacherous is that betrayal. And so as we look at this translation here, uh, it's either that A, God hates divorce, and we should carefully watch ourselves not to act treacherously, or God is saying to the one who hates and divorces his spouse that they have brought injustice to their spouse, And because of that, you should watch yourself carefully not to act treacherously. Either way, God is taking the covenant of marriage lightly or seriously. I would say seriously, right? Very, very seriously. He condemns divorce and betrayal. God's view is oneness. God's view is permanence. And to not promote that is to promote betrayal. Well, one last thing. There's, there's tons of other scriptures you could look at for this. Tons. I wanted to bring in lots of other ones, and I, I did not. But one last thing you think about. You say, Brandon, well, in the Garden of Eden, things were perfect, and it was great, and, and you know, it's different today. Our view of marriage has changed. I, I don't think it's changed. God's view of marriage certainly has not changed after the Garden. And then I want you to think about the Garden because we think, oh, well, if a perfect example of what it is to be married, it should be there, right? How many wives did Adam have? How many husbands did Eve have? One. In, in the perfect place where they could have everything their heart desired and everything they needed and perfect communion with God, what did God give them? Exactly what he wanted to and exactly what they needed. And they became one flesh. And there was a permanent bond between them. That model is still true Today, even in a broken world, but how does it look in a broken world? Well, let's just look at some. I, I printed out. I went to a wedding for um, Elizabeth Bradley on Friday. It's amazing. Ceremony It was so so awesome to be a part of that. Um, and, and and I went to my my uh, wedding message notes, and I just copied and pasted into my sermon notes the vows that I have set in in ours. Because one of the things that I've seen, um, you know, and, and kind of kind of I don't know about you. It makes me feel yucky when I'm at a wedding of people who really don't love Jesus. Right, and and then they're just like, well, we're here. I'm supportive. I would love you. I I get it. I mean, marriage is still important, and I want you to be married. But they say vows like this, and I just feel like they're not being honest when they say them. Because even now, like as we're here, like Brandon, don't you tell me I can't get a divorce. Don't you tell me that that's that's wrong. Don't you tell like I'm going to read these vows to you, and and I just want you to think for your own self. Did is this what you meant when you said this to your spouse? Here's and maybe you didn't say these ones. I think uh, Chris Adlard had mentioned she had she went to a wedding sometime or seen some vows, and, and there was, the vows were basically, until, and, and, and basically I'll, I'll be your spouse until love runs out. Well, at least you're being honest, right? At least you're being honest. Here, here's, the, here's the vows. I would ask um, the man first here, I would ask uh, so-and-so, do, do you intend to have this woman to be your wife, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Do you intend to love her as Christ loved the church to comfort her, to honor and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. To which they respond, What? I do. Now, there was no if clause in there. There was no but clause in there. There was no hold off, don't say I do until she does clause. The promise was a promise that went one direction. Amen? That's covenant. That's what a covenant is. And then they say, I do. And then I go to the wife and say, do you take your husband? And same thing. And they say, I do. Right? It's, it's not a 50-50, though. It's 100% one way and 100% the other way. That's what covenant marriage is. And then you have the vows. These are where they repeat after me, where they kind of get nervous and you have to go short phrases, right? I so-and-so take you such and such. That's not what we say, by the way. I take you to be my wife. My constant friend, my faithful partner and my love, to have and to hold what's next? From this day forward, for better, for worse, thank you, next, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and to love and to cherish until until death do us part. That's taking marriage. Seriously, isn't it? That's saying, "I'm going to be serious to you." These, are, these vows are vows. They're not just fancy words. we say at a ceremony. They are a covenant promise that God takes, takes seriously, and so must we. So when we talk about marriage, and we talk about then divorce and remarriage, what has to be first talked about is the oneness and permanence of marriage, the covenant nature of marriage. It is to be held in higher esteem than anything else, and probably any other time we've done it before. My hope is that you would renew your own vows with your spouse. Go back and re- look at these again and say, man, you know, I, I need to re- be reminded of this. This is the covenant I have entered into if you have married. If you have not married and you're single, endeavor to love that way. Endeavor to find, to find a spouse who will love you that way to, and, and, to, and to love your spouse in your future that way. Don't settle for something else. So let's keep going. Next next thing about divorce and remarriage. Number two is this. Divorce may be permitted, but is not commanded. It is not commanded. If we look back at our Matthew 5 passage there, uh, it was said, he says, you've heard it said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. You've heard it said that, right? If you're going to divorce, you must give a written notice, right? Because they were treated as property. Moses was like, this is wrong. Give her, write, write this down and, and make it in paper and as a contract, that she's free. She can't be your slave or, oh, I've changed my mind, come back. Like, like, let's not do that. That was the intent there. He says, whoever divorces his wife must give written notice, but I tell you, so what does Jesus teach on it? I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except, here's the exception clause, in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I think we like to, as human beings on the planet Earth, Go to a passage of Scripture like this and say, where's the exception? Where's the exception? There it is, except in cases of sexual morality. And by the way, Jesus just taught on adultery, and adultery is less. So if you are indecent in any way, you're gone. That's what we like to do. We like to look for the exceptions. We like to look for the easy way out, the easy answer, and, and we like to go with that. But did we look at the totality of what Jesus said? He said, yeah, you've heard that it was said, and that, that, that saying is true, but you have, you have done it wrong. And then he says, Really, I tell you, anyone who divorces his spouse except for this reason causes her to commit adultery. Why? Because permanence and oneness of marriage. Even if you get a little certificate, and although I'm legally divorced, you may not be biblically divorced. And that will challenge remarriage as well. So whoever marries a divorced woman, what? Commits adultery. It's so nice. We can go to our exception clauses, isn't it? Oh, I'm I'm here, I'm looking at my exception clause, I have a way out. But we don't look at the next line. Yeah, You might do that, you might have a way out, but you ever act on that marriage again, or if you go, go try to marry somebody else, it's going to be called what? Adultery. Why? Because God views marriage as permanent and one. Now, there are some freedoms we'll talk about. There are uh, lots of popular opinions that religious leaders were bringing to the table that day, uh, in the first century, and, and they, again regarded divorce highly and marriage more lightly. Jesus, however, took divorce very seriously. He took divorce seriously because he took marriage seriously. So he took it seriously in the right way. If we go back to Matthew 19. This is his, the other passage of his teaching. When they, that is the teachers of the law, asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? Didn't Moses command us to do that? Well, let's look at what Moses said. If you want to, Deuteronomy chapter 24, or you can just listen. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one through four. While you turn there, I'm gonna clean my nose from the pollen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one through four. It's interesting, again, we look for the exception clause, then we just run with it. But I want you to look at what's exceptional about this passage of Scripture, not just the exception clause. If, if a man, and this is, by the way, where the teachers of law all started basing their debates on, and then they, they made their own tradition out of. If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate. Hand it to her and send her away from his house. Okay, stop right there. That's the exception clause, right? This, this has gone way too far, by the way. And in the teaching of the day, there were two schools of thought. There was the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. And most rabbis went to the school of Hillel, because I'll, I'll show you in a minute why. But, but notice, there's an exception clause there. That you, he may, well, did he command it? No, he said you may get a certificate of divorce, hand it to her and send her away. But look what happens after. Look, look at the, here's the consequences and repercussions. If after leaving his house, she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the second man Hates her, writes her a divorce certificate, hands to her, and sends her away from his house. Uh, and if he dies, if the first husband uh, who sent her away, uh, he may not marry her again after she has been defiled. Again, there's a defilement of the union of marriage. The marriage that was intended to be one and permanent is now defiled because of adultery or divorce. There's, and it, it's, it says that would be detestable to the Lord. So, what's not detestable? Right? What's not detestable is the permanence of marriage, the oneness in marriage, the covenant of marriage. He says, you must not bring guilt on the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. I, I, just, I see this and I, I, fail, I think about how they fail to see this. We do the same thing though, right? We look for the exception clause. It's amazing that out of that passage of Scripture would be found permission and freedom to just frivolously divorce your spouse. But that is exactly what happened out of that. When we look for an exception clause and we get one, we'll make it as frivolous as we want it to be, won't we? Let me read you some, uh, some thoughts here out of this commentary. I'm going to give you <clears throat> reasons why a man was allowed to divorce his spouse. Now, if you look at the Deuteronomy passage, it says, because she becomes displeasing to him. I think they stopped there. Like When the wife becomes displeasing to me, see ya, you're gone. Well, it goes on, doesn't it? It says displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. There is a, a, a sexual indecency um, that is here, that is present. It is not just some kind of random indecency. This is like a, a sexual indecency, whether it's, and it's probably not like adultery. It's probably not, um, it's physical adultery or, or um, incest or, or some other sexual deviancy. It's not that because in that day, do you remember what the punishment was for that? It was death. Did you need a divorce? Because the marriage was pretty much over if the person died, right? So if they committed that, so what Moses is saying, yeah, there, there may be some kind of something going wrong here within the marriage. That's, that's a sexual um, indecency. And, and we could, you can talk about that in your small groups and with your family. Look at the scriptures about that. But what they did, they went further. They said, well, if it's displeasing. So here's the school of Shammai really held more to that sexual indecency, more adultery. We could grant a divorce. And you think about that going forward. There were some conservative schools of thought. When Joseph and Mary were married, If she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What, what did he think? Oh, man, she's committed adultery, but God sent an angel, and angel said, hey, don't be afraid to what? Take Mary as your wife. Right? And earlier he had in his mind, because he was a righteous man, to divorce her quietly. Divorce for the betrothed, instead of bringing her out to die. That was kind of the better way to go, he felt. But he kept her, and they were married. But that's the school of Shammai. The school of Hillel argued that anything a wife did that displeased her husband provided valid grounds for divorce. Here are some of those things. And by the way, this was for back then when wife was property. Uh, Wives, today, we see each other as equal, don't we? So if you find something like this in your husband, then you know, no, that's not the permission. Here's what it says. You could divorce your wife if she were barren. If she became deaf or mute. If she failed to perform certain services in the household, if her husband considered her to be lazy, get a divorce. Rabbinic law also stated that certain physical defects in the wife were also offensive and were legitimate grounds for divorce. That's just mean. If she had poor posture, if she had thinning hair, if she had no eyebrows or only one eyebrow, or if she had bushy eyebrows. If she had eyes that were too high. If she had eyes that were too low. If if she had two eyes of a different color. If she had watery eyes. A man could divorce his wife if her nose were too big, or too small. Her ears were too little or too floppy. If she had missing teeth. If she had a protruding navel. So if you had an Audi, done. Rowdy, yeah. you had bony ankles or knees. If if you were ambidextrous, I think I'd probably hide that one. If, I mean, anyway, if she ate something that he had forbidden her to eat, probably his slice of cake. If she visited the home of her parents against his permission. If she cursed her husband's parents or yelled at her husband so loud that her voice could be heard outside the home. A man could divorce his wife if she had a bad reputation, if she burned his supper, or if he simply found someone he thought was prettier. How in the world do you read something like Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, through 4, and say, yeah, they're totally indecent, totally displeasing, and not look at the rest? That God says, this is defilement. Of what I have created. This is treachery of what I have created. And what's interesting is this you and I laugh. Because in this world today, we, we find that comical like, oh my goodness, I, you can't do that. Really? We don't even seem to need a reason. We divorce now for what's called a no fault clause. No fault. That person didn't have any of these flaws. No fault or just irreconcilable differences. We're going to go our own way. We do not think as highly of marriage as we ought to. And we think too highly of divorce and not seriously enough about it. So Jesus' teaching here is, again, as he talks about divorce, he's really highlighting that it's not commanded by Moses, but it may be permitted. Did Moses command? And go back to Matthew 19. Let's see... What are the exceptions that we'll talk about today? 19, eight through nine. He told them, Moses permitted, not, not command. The question was, did he command? Jesus answered, he permitted you to divorce your wives because, look, look at this, because why? The hardness of your hearts. And that's a great response. You have this, this total laundry list against your spouse. You know what And Jesus called that? He called that a hard heart. But all those little things, those little idiosyncrasies, those little things that displease you, you have a hard heart. But it was not like that from the beginning. Again, he tells you, right? The beginning has not always been that way. Then he goes in in verse 9. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except, again, here's an exception clause, for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Okay, a couple things here of this exception. If we're to think about an exception, and I know you're like, oh yeah, what's the exception, Brandon, tell me? It's sexual morality, and, and I would say that, yes, we just covered lust and that lust is the sexual morality that we're talking about. Well, it's deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. I, I would say this, that divorce, I, I strongly believe this. Divorce is always a matter of a hard heart, always. And now stay with me for a minute. You're like, oh, not always. Maybe not yours, but someone's hard heart. That's where divorce comes from. And, and, and here's what's interesting. A hard heart desires soft and easy things. You get that? But on the, on the converse, a soft heart what desires what? Hard things. Tough things. Says, you know what? We're, we're not going to look for a way out as the default. We're going to look for a way through instead. What's he saying about marriage? That marriage is, and that relationship is supremely sacred. And nothing should be able to sever sever it but unrepentant, habitual unfaithfulness. Listen, we've all identified ourselves as adulterers. And and if that was the case and Jesus said, then go ahead and get divorced, we wouldn't have a sermon, right? It's deeper than that, isn't it? It's not that easy. We're all adulterers because we've all lusted in some way or had, had some kind of sexual desire, thought in our heart we should not have had. We're all there. That is not the way out. This idea of sexual unfaithfulness or sexual immorality is is deeper. It's a habitual, continual pattern on lifestyle. It's unrepentant. It is one that you see and say, that is wrong and we need to fix that. That is wrong and not part of the covenant. That is where you start bringing in the church family, the the elders, the pastors, the Bible study leaders. You start exposing that. For what? To tell on somebody? No, for restoration. Because of oneness and the permanence of, of marriage is so important. That's what we do. So, is there an exception? Sure, there is unfaithful, habitual, unrepentant sexual sin that happens in the lives of our, our marriages. And Jesus says, when that happens, you may, you may be permitted to divorce. But it's, it's not what's always good, it's not what's always best. Even when there is the reason. It's not really an excuse for ending a marriage, but just the grounds, the sorrowful grounds that you might have for a divorce. And that makes it very difficult. One of the things we need to understand also is this, that because of the sanctity and preciousness of marriage, that, that, here's what Scripture would say, that if, if you divorce a spouse because of their unfaithfulness, when, when that is done, you are free, you have the freedom as the, the victim to remarry. But the person who committed adultery does not have the, the freedom to remarry, or is an adulterer? We think about, I just want a reason to divorce. And we never think about, yeah, you might divorce, but guess what? You'll never have to be able to get married again. Now, I say that because that's the biblical stance. And if you came to one of our pastors in our church, they would give you a biblical stance. And we, you come and say, I want to get married. We want to talk. Come on in. and We'll have a conversation. And we usually vet that out. And we ask these questions. Why, why do you find yourself single right now? If it's because of a death of a spouse, well, you can remarry, Right? because you have never been married before, well, then you can marry. But if you have been married before, we have to vet through that and figure out, are you free to marry? And then who is it that you're marrying? And are they free to remarry biblically? It gets kind of murky, doesn't it? Hard. I I just want to tell you that if you decide to divorce, you may be in that category where you do not have biblical permission to ever remarry, that it would be adultery if you did. So, So we have to take that seriously, don't we? Jesus is saying, take this seriously. So for reasons of sexual immorality, let me go on. I, 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 he, what did he say? He says, uh, you are permitted to divorce your wives because why? Hardness of heart. That's another reason to divorce. That's, and to me, that's the that's really only, only reason. That's really not the exception. It's just what happens. And, and the hardness of heart reason, that stubbornness reason, uh, and it has a, has a lot of, you, you might be thinking, oh, Brandon, what about this? What about this? most of those things that you're asking in your mind, in your heart right now, probably fall under the hardness of heart category. They may not, and we are always open to have a conversation in love and, and in graciousness with that. But most of those things fall into a hardness of heart. Uh, you know, how many times have I had a, a person come to me and, or, or one of our pastors, and they're like, man, my spouse, they're doing this, or they're, they're having an affair, or they, they just don't pay attention anymore. They basically have abandoned me. They, they don't want anything to do with our kids. And it's just like they are in that place of, this hurts. One, you've been there way too long without saying something, right? And you come to us, and and great. And so what do we do? What's the next step? The next step is to hear you, to pray for you, and obviously you're going to say, I I want my marriage. So we go to that family. We go to that spouse and say, okay, your spouse sees this, and we see this. They want a marriage. They want to be married to you. They want this covenant love relationship. How can we help? And then, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. And then eventually the, the spouse might come around and start coming to meeting with us. And, but here's what's interesting that happens. The first spouse that came, they, they, wanted, they wanted their marriage. And I can't believe how hard the heart this person is over here. They wanted marriage. And then as soon as that person turns and starts to soften their heart, the first person, I, I'm kidding you not, this, all the time this happens, they harden their heart. No, I don't want them back. They've caused too much pain. I, I don't want anything to do with them. I, 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 listen, I get it. I understand that as a human being with emotions and with hurt and with, with all the work that's going to have to be laid out. I get that. But maybe you're here and you're not one of those. Maybe you, maybe you were one that, that was hard-hearted and you were running and stubborn and you did your own thing and you had a spouse that just stuck with it. I've seen plenty of those too, by the way. Spouses that they're just sticking with it. I'm like, you're still sticking with this? Like, I would have said, yeah, you have every ground, just you probably need to cut the tie here. I don't usually say that, by the way. But, but that's, and, and then they stuck with it, and guess what? God changed their spouse's heart. And there was a marriage that was a covenantal marriage again, and, and the fruit and the blessing with that, within that marriage and within the body of Christ and within the friends and family and within their children it was amazing. It was amazing what God did. So don't, Let's not harden our heart. You might come and say, All right, "Well, my heart's the one that's soft. There's is hard." Careful, watch yourself carefully. Treachery is around the corner. Betrayal is around the corner. Your spouse may warm back up to you, and you're like, "No, no, no. It's too late for that." They're 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 undefiled. They're unclean. Well, I guess you can get a divorce for any reason if you see fit. Then that's not what the Bible says, though. There is sexual morality. There's hardness of heart, and hardness of heart, by the way, is not the reason to get divorced. Jesus says it, and Deuteronomy says it, that's why you, you, here's a a certificate, you can give them that, but when you do, know that when you choose the hardness of heart option, it defiles everybody down the line. It is adultery after adultery after adultery. It should not be considered. Number three in this section of exceptions is from 1 Corinthians 7. I'm going to read this just uh, to us. Paul says, I say to the unmarried and to widows, it's good for them to remain as I. Paul's like, maybe you should consider being single. But if they don't have self-control, they should marry, since it's better to marry than to burn with desire. You know, I, I see this. I want you to understand something. Marriage is still viewed as supreme and excellent, uh, even over, over singleness and the gift of singleness. But if you have the gift of singleness, God bless you. Most people do not. Why? Because God created us male and female, and it's not good for a man to be alone. We desire companionship. And that's from God. That's okay. That's good. We should desire good whole, fruitful, God-centered, covenantal companionship. That's what we should desire. And If you desire that and you're just like, I want to be married, then go get a husband and or go get a wife and get married to someone that is God-honoring, God-fearing, that will love you and covenant with you. He goes on, he says, to the married, I give this command. So let's say you're married. Here you go, you're married. Not I, but the Lord. Uh, a wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So the same thing. This is going to that hardest of heart clause. Listen, you're not to do this. But if you do, you remain what? Unmarried, because it would be adultery to do otherwise. Then he goes on, and he goes, but, but I, not the Lord, has to say the rest. And when Paul says that, by the way, it's not like, hey, by this, by the way, this is my opinion. You can you can just blot it out. It's not a big deal. But Paul is saying, this was not specifically said by the Lord Jesus and written down so that you could you could sorry that you could have it, right? He's saying, this is also scripture. This is also from God. Here's the totality of what's going on. He says, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. This is like, I had this question this week about being unequally yoked. Aren't I I unequally yoked? I I said, no, listen. When, When we have a charge to not be unequally yoked, that charge is before marriage happens or before even maybe business happens right it's it's i'm pursuing someone that doesn't love jesus doesn't know jesus isn't going to treat me like jesus wants him to treat me or her to treat me right don't get unequally yoked that's sinful but if you're married and this this couple had been married for a while and then then one became a believer i'm unequally yoked no 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 you are you, feeling the unequalness of your marriage cuz you have faith and and they did not but you are not sinfully unequally yoked in that marriage and god says if if they'll have you stay committed to that covenant right if she is willing to live with him he he must not divorce her and if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her she must not divorce her husband for the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband otherwise your children here's the children part again would be unclean as it uh, and as it is they are holy so God is pursuing holiness in a family there's a lot of theology in here I'm not going to dive into the last part of this passage in verse 15 and 16 If the unbeliever leaves, let him go. So here's your third exception clause. You're in a a relationship with one's an unbeliever, and you're like, I'm trying, I want to love this person, and they just are fed up with my time at church, they're fed up with my worship, they're fed up with the way I want to teach our children, they're fed up with what I want to give finances to, they're just like, I'm out of here. God says, it's okay, let them leave. Let them leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. Boy, what a great responsibility. And here's what this doesn't say. Hey, if they're an unbeliever and they're treating you like, like trash, and, and, and that's an exception. No, it says, listen, if they're willing to live at peace, you continue to love them with the vows that Christ has set upon your heart in covenant relationship. Now, I, I, need, to, I need to pause for a second, okay? I know that in the dynamic of this world, there are all kinds of circumstances and scenarios that happen within a home that are sinful and wrong. And so what I am not saying is that you have to grin and bear whatever's happening at your home. That you should stay in an abusive relationship. That's not what I'm saying. What I didn't say is you should divorce that person. But I didn't say you should stay in that abusive relationship. right? Scripture didn't say that. God didn't say, listen, as long as you can bear the punishment and torment of your spouse... He says, as long as you can live at peace, and they're willing to live at peace there. So we we want you to be safe. We want you to be emotionally, spiritually sound. You need to seek counsel. That's why there's more conversations, right? That's why in one service, there can't be an exhaustive teaching on this subject. That's why we want more conversations. We want you to ask questions. We want you to bring up things that we may not have thought about or didn't get addressed today. Is that that fair? I know there are other scenarios beside these, these three things we've listed. I think most of the scenarios fall under hardness of heart, some could fall into you. And here, let's take one a little further. Just, just one example. You're in a relationship with someone that says they're a Christian. And that, hey, they were a deacon at church, or they, they played on the, on, the, on the band, or whatever it was. They, they're, they're an awesome person. And then they treat you the opposite, though. They don't treat you in covenant relationship. They don't live a life that's fruit-filled and, and, and like Christ. There's a point <clears throat> where we would call them to repentance. And if they do not repent, Scripture says that we treat them like any other sinner, that essentially what you have is an, is an unequally yoked marriage and probably someone that's hard-hearted and doesn't want to live with you. And that falls under exception number three, doesn't it? So that, that's, a, that's a scenario. There's a lot of ways this can go. Ultimately, what we don't, what, here's what I don't want you to leave with. I've got to go find out my scenarios and write them all down and take them to Brandon. What I want you to come away with is that marriage is amazing. That marriage is to be held in honor by all people. That marriage is about permanence and oneness and that, that it honors the covenant of God. And that's what we need to pursue. Last thing, and that, that leads us to the last point, number three. When we think about divorce and remarriage, we need to think rightly and highly of marriage. Think rightly and highly of marriage. We're kind of sandwiching that middle stuff with the same stuff, aren't we? Think rightly and highly of marriage. If you go to Matthew 19, his disciples were lis- listening to this conversation with the Pharisees. He had responded to them, and then the disciples in verse 10 said this. His disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man and wife is like this, better not to remarry. Or it's better not to marry. You see, they're like, if that's if that's the, the bar, if that's where the standard is, I don't know if we should marry. You know what I say? Well done. Well thought out. You and I ought to think twice, shouldn't we? Three times, four times, five. We ought to really think long and hard about marrying and what that looks like and what that covenant nature should look like and, and what the other spouse seems like and, and how they're going to participate in this. We think long and hard about it because... There's a lot of of murky stuff here, isn't there? There's a lot of stuff that could be tarnishing to the marriage. So think highly and rightly of marriage. It's interesting. They're blown away by his response. If the only grounds for divorce was was that habitual, unfaithful, unrepentant sexual sin, and none of the, uh, the exceptions that were suggested by the school of Hillel were valid, they're like, it's better to stay single. If I can't just... Treat marriage frivolously. is better to stay, stay single. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. That comes from a hard heart, though. Who wants to do soft things, easy things? A soft heart, a humble heart says, I'm willing to go through it and covenant with them. So let me suggest something else than not getting married. I think marriage is awesome, and I think if you're called to singleness, that's okay, and certainly you might be called to not being married now. But let me suggest something else. Maybe you and I should respond so deeply and humbly to the covenant love that Christ shows us that the only way we know how best to covenant with somebody else is through the example that he has set. We fall in love with Jesus. We look at the model of Christ and what he has done in our heart and the covenant how he has pursued us and we covenant with someone else. The covenant that we have felt when we came to faith in Christ, the covenant we have felt and that has been experienced over and over as we have put Jesus to shame. How many times have you and I drugged Jesus through the mud right behind him like adulterers that we are? And what does Jesus do? He continues to love us, continues to pursue us, continues to to clean us and set the example. Maybe the tone that we set in our marriages is by being the first ones to lay down our lives, the first ones to show compassion and care, the first ones to always have an openness to another person and to listen, grow together And we do it through his example, and we do it through his power. Listen, if it was up to you and me and our puny forms of love, our marriages would always end. But it's up to God and the work of God in marriage. Marriage is the work of God, and it does not lie in man's prerogative to end it. I want to go to one last passage, John 4, if you would turn there with me. John chapter 4. I thought of this and I just thought, man, this this is this is where I want to go. Because now you're like, well, what do I do? There's all these what-ifs and all these things going on. I want to see this relationship that Jesus had, this conversation he had with the woman at the well. And I think it'll it'll enlighten us a bit as we look. John chapter 4, verse 6. Or seven. Sorry. A woman at the of Samaria came to draw water. So he's gone to the well. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus says to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, and Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Look what Jesus says, his pursuit of her, look at his covenant. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Now he knows this woman. He knows where she's come from, what she's done. How does she respond? I hope this is the response of our heart. Well, in a minute she responds. First she says, where's your bucket? You can't, you can't do it. Where's your bucket? It's too deep. Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water, the water I'm going to give you, will not get thirsty again. whoever drinks from the water that I will give uh, will, will, in fact, well up in them, springing on to eternal life. He says, I, I have something that I, I can give you. For eternal life that will spring up in you and well up and overflow from you. And then she says, What? Give me this water. Give me this water. And I think her motives might have been wrong still. Like, give me this water so I don't have to come back here to this well and expose myself and my sins. So Jesus gets to the heart of it then as well. He says, She says, Give me the water. And, and, and he says, Go and call your husband and then come back here. What does she say? I don't have a husband. He answered, I don't have a husband. You have correctly said that you don't have a husband, for you have had five, five husbands. And the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Jesus is pursuing this woman in all of her failures in covenantal, amazing love, isn't he? Isn't it amazing how he pursues her? And he reveals that he knows her heart. And a couple of things he reveals about this, because we've talked about you shouldn't get divorced, and if you get divorced, remarriage might not be an option. If you get married, remarried, it's really just adultery. It could be, is that correct? So we have to be careful of that. Now, if we look at this and say, well, what, what are my options? What does Jesus say to her, though? Because this goes back to the importance and the supremacy of marriage. I don't have a husband, she says. And Jesus says, you're right. In fact, you have had how many husbands? Five. Now, what's, here's what's interesting. Jesus actually says, those men, every single one of those men, I consider to be, or have been, what? Your husband. Actual husband. And and I go further than that because Jesus says about the one that she's with now, he considers him to be what? Not your husband. These were all husbands. This one is an adulterous relationship. These were all husbands. This one is adulterous. But you'd say, well, doesn't Jesus think that entering into a marriage after probably an adulterous relationship is adultery? Yes, he does. But what does he find more supreme, more important? Listen, I think there are people in this room who have been divorced and remarried, and they shouldn't have got remarried, and and that's adultery. I think that you probably qualify, some of you. Guess what Jesus says? Yeah, it was adultery, but now that you're in it, guess what it's called? Marriage. And you are to hold it as high as Jesus holds it as marriage that it is supreme, that it is permanent, that it is about oneness, and you are to view it that way. And there's no back door, no easy way out. But Jesus said, you've been married five times. There's, you see Jesus' grace? He gives that grace. He says, I, I know that was adultery, but it's a marriage. That next one was adultery, but it was now marriage. And it was adultery, but now it's now, now marriage. And then it was adultery, and now it's not marriage. It's just adultery. It's wrong. It's sin. I see you, I know you. That's, that's what he's saying to her heart. And, and I'm still saying, I can give you water that springs up to eternal life. Eternal life. You see that covenant nature of God? The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And what does Jesus say back? I, the one speaking to you, am he. I'm he. I'm, I'm the one. I'm not speaking covenant, I am covenant. And it changed the world, right? She went back into town and, and it told, the, told everybody, I, they, they, he knows who I am, he, he loves me, he, he pursues me, this is who he is. There's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, amen? There's covenant. And, and aren't you glad, because when we look at this, it, this is the way, the model we should have. Jesus didn't come and say, listen, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have, what, given you living water, unless your nose was too small. He would have given you living water, unless your ears were too floppy. He would give you covenantal love and forgiveness and living water that would overflow and well up to you to eternal life, unless you looked at somebody with lust. And he's out. Is that how Jesus covenants with us? Not at all. May it never be. So what is the model of covenant love that we have? It is Jesus Christ and the way he treats us the unfaithful, the unfaithful, the unfaithful. That he pursues us and that through faith in Christ, through repentance and faith, we turn to him and he is the most satisfying. Our love for him is the most satisfying thing. And, 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 and that his example of covenant love to us is the way we not only treat our wives and our husbands, it's the way we treat everybody that we come in contact with. So I want to leave you with this. What do we do now? What do you do? Well, we look, like I just said, we look... To the best model of covenantal love and we learn from him and we follow him and that will always lead us to a necessary ego check right right because our relationship with God and our spouse and and people in general will go haywire at some point as ego creeps in the the I deserves and the you shouldn't have and I need to be respected or you should have said that to me but covenant love is selfless it's people serving, it's God honoring love. And so we, not only do we look to in the model that's the best model, that's a covenant of love, that's Jesus, you and I need to look around. And we need to find the next best model we can within the church body, the church family. You look and find a couple who, who looks to be in love with Jesus more than anything, and looks to be in love with each other more than anything. And you go to them and say, I want to meet with you. I want to take you to coffee. I want to, I want to buy you a, a mocha and maybe a big tall one because we've got lots of time. And I want to go, I want to ask you some questions. How do you do this? And you ask that. And you let people in. Let people into the hurt and the, and the hardness of your heart maybe or the hardness of your spouse's heart. Let people in so there can be some exposure there and there can be ultimately healing and a model of covenant love and, and how we move towards reconciliation and restoration. Look around and pay attention as you interact within the church community. Don't be afraid to ask for advice or help. Listen, Jesus says we are not to to think frivolously about marriage. We are to to think rightly and highly about marriage. And we are to take things like divorce very, very seriously and not lightly like those in the day did. Uh, Listen, I know there's lots more. And, and, And you need to study on your own, you think on your own, you pray on your own. But I go back to the beginning. I hope you've heard my heart. And more importantly, I hope you've heard Christ's heart as he teaches on this. And that as you have need and as it wells up inside of you and you have a desire to talk, that you would find someone to talk to. That you would raise your hand and you would say, I need help, I need support, I need to talk to you. Not, you don't have to do it right now, don't raise your hand, right? But come come and find us. Come and set up an appointment. Come and, and, and find another couple. Find another, if you're a woman that needs to talk to another woman that's married, find that woman and talk to her. You need recommendations, come see me. I'll point you in, I hope, the right direction. Okay? I love you. God loves you. Let's elevate His covenant and, and, and make that example of His covenant seen in all of our relationships. All right? I invite the worship team to come back up. Let's stand together as we pray. And now we respond from our heart in worship to Jesus Christ. All right, let's quiet our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we. We, we bow before You. These, these words are not always easy to hear, but God, as we've come to You from our heart, I, I thank You that You have taught us from Your Word and from Your Spirit to respond to Your covenant love. God, help us not to view marriage lightly and, and, and make, make little of it, but let's make something big of it. Let's celebrate marriage. Let's celebrate people getting married and honoring covenant love and covenant vows, and God, may may we who have been married and and done that, may we honor covenant marriage, and may we honor those vows, because our covenant with our spouse is to model and be be exemplified first in Jesus Christ, and to show the world that that covenant matters most. So help us, humble us, convict us, still God, help us to move to a place of obedience and righteousness, to be good citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's see.